Welcome to the Calvary St. George's Sermon Podcast, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ and Him crucified. These podcasts are recorded and produced by the Parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. For more information, head to calvarystgeorges.org. And this is a really exciting day, actually, for a preacher, because uh, this day only comes around once every three years. This is the day when the Old Testament reading is all about the Proverbs 31 woman, the ideal, at least from a 4th century BC perspective. And I get the opportunity today to mansplain it all to you. And so it's, you know, it's very exciting. Um, I do have some real thoughts on this, and I'm going to tie it into James chapter 3 and 4, uh, because it all has to do uh, with wisdom from above versus worldly wisdom. Now, my friend Aaron Zimmerman, who's the rector of St. Albans uh, Episcopal Church in Waco, Texas, he says the first thing about the Proverbs 31 woman is that this passage is incredibly crushing. This is the law at its highest pitch, and he always asks, why isn't there like a Proverbs 32 man, you know, the perfect husband, the man who plays no video games, nor gets consumed with YouTube, you know? He draws home a large paycheck, has a perfect work-life balance, and is always emotionally available to his children. Where is that particular passage in the Bible, you know? Um, uh, So, so, but this is the law, and it's crushing. Then you come to two. The word capable, the opening verse, the word capable in that opening verse, and actually in Hebrew, describes a warrior, not someone who's meek and wears a denim jumper. Uh, this, that was supposed to be screamingly hilarious, but anyway, uh, uh, but this describes a warrior. And if you notice, she's a person who owns land. If she was living today, she definitely would have worked on Wall Street. And she broke 5th century BC stereotypes for the day. And then the third thing is, is really there's only one person who's ever fulfilled the Proverbs 31 person. And that is Xena, warrior princess. And, uh, you know, and it's very difficult. But in truth, this is what you need to remember when you're doing hermeneutics and studying the scriptures, is that the Bible doesn't end in Proverbs. And this is why some of the early church doctors, fathers and mothers of the church, they taught that this passage didn't find its fulfillment in one particular woman, but found its fulfillment in the church, the bride of Christ, that includes both men and women who become the ideal and are made perfect because of the righteousness of Jesus alone. And this is really what we get at, and this is the bridge into the epistle of James. To focus and fixate sermons on ideals and what you should do, rather than on the ideal and what Jesus has done for you, is as St. James points out, Well, that's the distinction between worldly wisdom and true wisdom, or wisdom from above. Worldly wisdom says, I'm going to make it. Worldly wisdom says, I'm getting better. Worldly wisdom says, it's all about me. Or wisdom from above says, the Son of Man must suffer, die, and then on the third day, rise again. In our epistle reading today, James asks, who is wise and understanding among you? Show by your good life and your works 
are done with gentleness and wisdom. There's a distinction here between worldly wisdom and wisdom from above. However, this distinction is extremely subtle. The key element with worldly wisdom, you need to know this, is that it always comes with a human agenda. We're here to make you all Proverbs 31 women. We're here in the name of justice. We're here to usher in God's kingdom. Whatever it is, the emphasis is usually on do, you do this, and be better. Now, false wisdom... See, the problem with false wisdom is that it cannot ultimately create change because false wisdom cannot convert the human heart. False wisdom does two things in a human. The first thing it does is it drives us away. It creates separation in humanity, especially away from the one who's projecting the ideal upon us. Just think about all the people in your life who've demanded that you be the Proverbs 31 woman. I have that problem every day. Just think about all the people in your life who've projected upon you and crushed you with the ideal. You oftentimes see this relationship with fathers and sons, especially as it relates to sports or academics, as a father lives vicariously through their son. And this emphasis, this constant assessment and expectation, what it does is that it ultimately crushes love and leads to separation. It drives you away. But the second thing that false wisdom does, and this is usually the one who's projecting the expectations, is that false wisdom turns us into tyrants turns us into tyrants because we can't separate our agendas from our personal selves. We become intertwined. And so when someone doesn't fit into our agenda, we become enraged. It creates, as the great Anglican priest John Newton called in our offertory song, a froward heart a hard and incurved heart that focuses on the self. The best description for that would be like Gollum from the Lord of the Rings as he clings to his precious. This was the problem in James's church. If you remember, James was the bishop of Jerusalem. And he had this church that was predominantly Jewish. But the idea was is that if you wanted to be a real Christian... You had to become Jewish first. You had to follow all of the dietary restrictions, so you better stop eating bacon. Men, if you wanted to really be a part of the covenant, you had to get circumcised. For a lot of folks, that was a deal breaker. But what was happening was is that this ideal, this agenda, was driving Gentiles away from the church driving Gentiles away from the gospel because they weren't hearing it. They were hearing Jesus plus something. And here's the thing, as my friend Tullian always says, Jesus plus nothing actually ultimately equals everything. Biblical scholar named Douglas Moo, he he makes this point in his commentary on James. He says, the leaders of the Judean church, this was the church in Jerusalem in the first century, were using abusive speech in pursuit of their theological agenda. 
And as a consequence, the church began to split into various factions. Hence, James refers to this wisdom, this wisdom that comes with an agenda, as earthly, unspiritual, and devilish. And this is my first point. When James speaks of worldly wisdom, he's speaking of any wisdom that puts us and our agendas at the center of things, especially when it comes to the church. This can be something as ridiculous as being a Proverbs 31 woman, or an overemphasis on social concerns, or the way we worship, or the way you pray, or projections upon a spouse or a child, whatever it may be. Now, if you remember, I said a couple of weeks ago, when I began to teach on James, a couple of weeks ago, what rescues James from regular old do-it-yourself religion? You know, from the two-way street kind of religion, you scratch God's back and he'll scratch yours. What rescues James from this is that he's always pulling us up outside of ourselves. He's pointing us outside of ourselves to something that rescues us. In James chapter 1, it's the implanted word. In James chapter 2, it's the perfect gift from above. And here in James 3 and 4, he speaks of wisdom from above. Notice that wisdom from above in our text today is contrasted with earthly wisdom. And it most certainly is not, as you hear today, wisdom from within. Everybody would find the strength within, find the power within. Are you kidding? I'm at the end of my rope. That's the worst news you can tell somebody. Find the strength within. Rather, James, like the rest of the apostles, he pulls us up outside of ourselves. And when James speaks of wisdom from above, he's speaking of the gospel. He's speaking of Jesus Christ. The wisdom that came down not as a peacekeeper, but the wisdom that came down as the peacemaker who bought through the shedding of his blood peace between us and God our Father. That's God's agenda, to have that message heralded and proclaimed to the end of the earth. And therefore, the agenda of the church, the agenda of the church is not to call you to a better life, but to a new life. Remember what Jesus said from the cross, Behold, I make all things new. The new life that he gives, which comes through the preaching of the gospel, this new life which you may never ever see, but most certainly it is there. And so therefore we need to constantly hear it. And you see, nourished by the message of the gospel, which is you are known actually more than you know yourself, and you are loved and forgiven more than you could possibly imagine, that message of the gospel constantly hitting your ears and then penetrating your heart, well, that message has the power to heal hurt hearts, heal your deepest wounds. That message, that message has the power, that message has the power to change your life. Because that message, that wisdom is born out of gentleness. 
the gentleness that only Jesus can bring, which then by the power of the Holy Spirit makes room for what God is doing actually in our midst. This is my second point. Jesus, the gospel is the wisdom from above. And he is pure. He is peaceable. He is gentle. He is willing to yield, full of mercy, and producing good fruits in your life. Without a trace of partiality or hypocrisy. And now you and I, sitting in these pews, being refreshed by the gospel, we become, as James says in our reading today, the harvest of righteousness that Jesus reaps. And never forget this gospel truth. It's real easy to forget. Because of this true wisdom that's come from above, you are righteous. You are right in your thoughts, you are right in your words, and you are right in your actions. Not by virtue of the fact that you're doing anything, but by virtue of the fact that the God of the universe declares you to be so for Jesus' sake. For he, the perfect one, has paid the price for all of us. However, there's a misnomer out there. A lot of people think Christianity is this like religion of steps and we make our way up and we get closer to God and you know the better we do, the better God likes us and all of that. But the truth is, is that the Christian faith, as the Apostle Paul understood it, the Christian faith as James teaches it, is all about sometimes we're just on square one. It's not about getting better. It's not about things being different. And while they are in one sense, never forget you've been transferred from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. You who were slaves have now been declared sons and daughters. Well, things are different in one sense. Existentially, sometimes they don't seem like they change at all. And therefore, the struggle is real between the false wisdom and true wisdom that battle in my heart. The struggle is real between my agenda and God's agenda. Never forget, I always say this, humans are sinners. Christians are humans. Therefore, Christians are sinners also. Hence, we still fight with our spouse. Hence, your kids don't listen to you. Hence, you see your kids as extensions of yourselves. Hence, you're dissatisfied at work, even as a Christian. Our lectionary reading then kind of abruptly ends James 3 and jumps right to James 4. And in James 4, the lectionary cuts it out, unfortunately, because here James delivers the hammer of the law to this congregation when he writes, You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly in order to spend what you get on your pleasures. A.K.A. what James is saying right there, he says, Because you rest your life on false wisdom. Your agenda dominates once again. Then, and this is the part that's been axed out, James delivers the heaviest part of chapter 4. And indeed in his entire epistle. But this may be a bit dramatic, 
but essentially cutting this section out of the lectionary out of our reading today is kind of like watching um, It 1 and 2 on the airplane. I don't know if any of you have seen it, but it, watching It 1 and 2 on the airplane is terrible because all of, the, all of the amazing, gory, scary parts that really give the story punch are cut out. So as your pastor, I don't ever recommend you watch It 1 or 2, but if you do, don't watch it on the airplane. The censored version misses the punch. And this censored version of James misses the punch. So let me read it to you. And then it makes sense, the last verse for us. James literally writes, Adulterers, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is for nothing that the scripture says God yearns jealously for the spirit that he has made to dwell in us. But remember, James is always pulling us outside of ourselves. Because if you just get the law alone, you begin to look for your own power and what can I grab onto to save myself? It's our instinct. It's our nature. But James delivers this word outside of ourselves, the gospel, once again. He writes, but God. But God gives all the more grace. Therefore, he writes, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. And we've been humbled by the law, and so then James is ready to give the gospel, like any true good pastor. God gives grace to the humble. You see, friendship with the world is thinking that as a Christian, I ever move beyond the cross So often, friendship with the world, which is the fruit of false wisdom, and here's its subtlety that I was talking about earlier, is believing somehow, some way, I may be better. Believing that I'm right and I have it all together. If you ever go to a 12-step meeting, they'll tell you that's one of the first dangerous signs. And that's why before you ever can speak at a 12-step meeting, you always introduce yourself as an alcoholic. However, and this is why we're all here, not because we have it all together, but we need someone with wounded hands to hold it together for us. God continues to give grace, and we continue to receive that grace. And this is my third point. We receive that grace in the words of a sermon, rooted in the word of the Bible. We receive that grace in the bread that is his body. And we receive that grace by the power of the Holy Spirit as we continue to submit ourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil and draw near to God. You see, that's all possible. That's all possible because true wisdom, wisdom from above, reminds us that on the cross Jesus has already defeated the devil and by the power of the Holy Spirit, has drawn near to you first. And by his blood, he has claimed you as his own already. True wisdom. Let's rest in that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast, produced and recorded at the parish of Calvary St. George's in the city of New York. If you feel led to support the continuing ministry of the parish, you can make an online donation at calvarystgeorges.org slash giving. Thank you.